Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word once again, and we thank you for these particular verses of Ecclesiastes to which we turn this morning. Father, we pray that you would help me as I preach these truths and help us all to receive your word and to be changed by it through the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray all these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it would be great if you could please keep the book of Ecclesiastes open in front of you as we spend our time this morning looking at these opening six verses just of chapter 11. We're almost at the end now of this fantastic book of the Bible. And in it, the teacher has been telling us all about life under the sun. He's been giving us his worldview. He's been describing to us what life is really like here on earth in this fallen creation. Sum much of the book up uh, in the following way. Firstly, the teacher has told us that there is one thing in life which is absolutely certain. And that is, of course, death. Unless Jesus returns first, we know that each one of us will eventually die. So back in chapter 3, the teacher told us that there is a time to be born, and as well as that, there is a time to die. And he says in that chapter, all go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Death is certain. But as well as that, he's also been telling us that pretty much everything else is very uncertain. Because the reality of living in this world is that things just come and go, and even the best things, even the happiest things, seem to just slip through our fingers very quickly. Life is constantly changing, isn't it? There are so many ups and downs along the way. You never really know what is coming around the corner. What will tomorrow bring? And we just don't know. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Chapter 9, verse 1. Or chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. There is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? And you see the, the point, don't you? Under the sun, so much of life is uncertain. Things come, things go. You never really know what's going to happen next. And it's that idea of uncertainty, or we might say ignorance, ignorance of what's going to happen, that the teacher wants us to face up to, especially in this little section at the start of chapter 11. I wonder if you noticed when we read the passage earlier on that three times in these six verses, the teacher tells us about something we don't know. 
And you see, he's telling us, isn't he, that we must face up to the fact that as finite creatures, we just don't have all the answers. Uh, There are so many things in life that we don't know. There are things that we just can never know. And it's only by acknowledging this ignorance of certain things that we can learn how to live rightly in this world. So let's just briefly look at these three different areas of ignorance that the teacher highlights for us. And the first is this. We don't know what might go wrong in the future. We don't know what might go wrong in the future. I hope that doesn't sound too pessimistic uh, for you. And that's what we come across, isn't it, in the, the second half of verse 2. You know not what disaster may happen on earth. Something that the, the teacher has been telling us about throughout this book. He's warned us that even when life seems to be going so well, and even when we're being very successful, in what we do. You never really know if things might take a turn for the worse in the future. So he's given us a few examples of what that can look like. In chapter 5 and 6, he's shown us what that can look like in terms of wealth and financial things. Uh, He said in verse 13, there is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. The teacher says this man had done so well in life financially. He'd saved up lots and lots of money. He had a very successful business. Life looked like it was completely sorted for him. And then one day he lost all of his fortune in a business deal that went terribly wrong. He went from being wonderfully rich to bankrupt in no time at all. And he had nothing left that he could pass on to his son. And this man died in poverty. He didn't know what might go wrong in the future. Or consider chapter 9 verse 11. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. He's saying, you see, even those who have every advantage going for them in life, people who are strong, people who have wonderful abilities, people who are intelligent and so forth, even these people don't necessarily find success in life. The race is not always to the swift, the battle not always to the strong. Because with the passing of time and with the uncertainty of events or chance as it appears from our point of view, things can just suddenly go wrong for people. And that's the point you see that he's driving home here in chapter 11, isn't it? Here's something you just don't know. You don't know what might go wrong in the future. It's something of which we're ignorant. You know not what disaster may happen on earth. And there may be things in your life or in your family or in your career and and so forth, which at some point will go through unexpected difficulties. And you didn't see it coming. 
And in fact, there was no way of seeing it coming, something of which we're just ignorant. And then the flip side of this is verse 6. And the point here is that we don't know what will succeed in the future. We don't know what will succeed in the future. We'll come back to this verse a bit later on in more detail. But this verse gives us a picture to think about, to, to help us understand this point. It's the picture of a farmer sowing seed. And he goes out one morning and he, he sows some seed in his fields. And then after a few hours of hard work, it gets to lunchtime. So he goes back home and he sits down and he has his lunch. And consider this, as he has his lunch, does that farmer know which of the seeds that he has sown that morning is going to grow and bear fruit? Well, no, of course, he doesn't. Some of them will grow, you'd imagine, but it may be the case that others get eaten by the birds or get blown away by the wind or maybe the field that he has planted them in is, is going to be ruined by bad weather that comes along or maybe the, the soil in that field where he's been working that morning, the, the soil just doesn't have the right nutrients to, to grow that crop. He, he doesn't know for sure which seed will succeed in the future. And so if he's a wise farmer, what does he do after he's finished his lunch? Well, of course, he, he goes out and he sows more seed in other fields throughout the afternoon and even into the evening. And of course, the teacher is not just telling us about farming here. This is an illustration which will help us grasp the point that is being made. The point is that there are many things in life, many different ventures that we undertake. And we just don't know what will succeed in the future just as we don't know what might go wrong in the future. So we might start a business and maybe it will thrive or maybe it will fold. And we might go to seven different job interviews and we just don't know which one, if any, is going to lead to our next job. Or you might make an offer to try and buy a house and you don't know if that offer is going to be accepted or not. Or maybe it will be your second offer or your third or your fourth offer or maybe none of your offers. And you see, there are many things in life where we just don't know what's going to succeed in the future. And then to sum it all up, here's the third thing that we don't know, this third area of ignorance. And that is we don't know God's ways. And again, there's a picture here that's given to us to help us grasp the point we don't know God's ways and the picture that is given to us here is of a baby being formed in the womb of its mother it's an amazing thing isn't it how a new life is created inside the womb of its mother even today scientists can't understand how exactly life itself begins how at that particular moment at conception a new person begins to exist Another person distinct from their mother and their father. Something that we cannot understand fully and we never will. And the teacher says, you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. And there is something else that is just as incomprehensible to us. Just as hidden away from our eyes. Just as unfathomable to our minds. And that is God's ways. 
The teacher says, so, in a similar way, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. He's saying God is sovereign over everything. He makes everything. He's sovereign over whatsoever comes to pass. He's sovereign when things go unexpectedly wrong for us. And he's sovereign when things are successful for us. It makes no difference. In in either set of circumstances, God is sovereign over those things. Chapter 7, verse 14 made that point as well. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. See the point, don't you? We don't know God's ways. We cannot second guess his providence. We don't know what his sovereign fatherly hand will send our way tomorrow prosperity adversity or anything in between we don't know his ways the prophet isaiah writes isaiah 55 for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts And in a similar way, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Here are three areas of human ignorance, says the teacher. Three things that we just do not know. We don't know what might go wrong in the future. We don't know what will succeed in the future. And the reason we can't know these things is ultimately because there is a God who is sovereign over and above everything. And we don't know his ways. And the question is, given these three areas of ignorance that we've noticed, how are we going to live our lives? It would be very easy, wouldn't it, to plan your life if you knew absolutely everything that's going to happen in the future. So you would book your holiday for the week when the sun was going to shine. And you would invest all your money in things that that are going to be most profitable. And you would revise for the exact questions that are going to appear on the exam paper and so forth. Life would be easy to live if you knew exactly what's going to happen tomorrow and throughout the future. But as we've been looking at already, life just isn't like that, is it? There is so much we don't know about the future. There's so much about it that we're ignorant of. How do we live with this reality of our own ignorance? And in these verses, the teacher shows us how not to respond to this, as well as showing us the right way to respond to this. So the wrong way to respond, firstly, is by being paralyzed by the fear of failure being paralyzed by the fear of failure. That's what verses 3 and 4 are are getting at. And again, we've got another picture here to to help us understand what is being said. It's very similar to the picture we've already looked at in verse 6. Once again, it's the the picture of a farmer who wants to go out and, and sow seed in his fields. But this farmer, in verses 3 and 4, is very different to the farmer that we met briefly in verse 6. Now, to give him credit, this farmer in verses 3 and 4 
has understood the first point that we've made this morning. He's understood that we don't know what might go wrong in the future. And yet he responds to that in completely the wrong way, by being paralyzed by the fear of failure. And so he spends his time thinking about what might go wrong in the future. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. So why bother going out and sowing any seed when you never know, we might get some really bad rain in a few weeks' time and it's just going to ruin all of those crops. And then even if the rain isn't so bad, what if there's a terrible gale that comes and blows a tree down? And this tree falls in a a certain direction and it just so happens to to land in this field and the crops in that field are just destroyed. And this farmer can have no control over which way this hypothetical tree might fall in the midst of that hypothetical gale. So the rest of verse 3, if a tree falls to the, the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls there, it will lie. Nothing we can do about it. And you see, there's a picture there of a man who rightly acknowledges that things might go wrong in the future, and he doesn't know what those things might be. And yet wrongly and foolishly, he allows that to paralyze him with the fear of failure. He just never gets around to attempting anything. And he never, therefore, achieves anything either. Because he's always worrying about what might go wrong in the future. Verse 4 then sums this picture up. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And of course, there's much more than farming in view here. The teacher is talking about any way in which we allow ourselves to be paralyzed by the fear of failure, and as a result, attempt nothing and achieve nothing. Why apply for that job? when I might not get it? Why make plans for doing such and such a thing when it might all go pear-shaped? Why invite those folks round when it might be a lot of hassle and, and they might not even want to come anyway? Why ask that person out on a date if they might turn me down? Why volunteer to serve in that ministry when I might find that I don't have quite the right gifts for that? Why give sacrificially to that work when I might feel the pinch later on? Why invite that person to church when they might say no? Why tell that person the gospel when they might take offense at it? You get the the point, don't you? Yes, we are ignorant about what might go wrong in the future. But don't respond to that by being paralyzed by the fear of failure. So what's the right way to respond to these things then? And the answer simply that the teacher gives us is be bold. Be bold. It's a passage all about boldness and ignorance. And we should be much more like the kind of farmer that's described there in verse 6. We've mentioned him briefly already. This farmer didn't allow his ignorance about the future to paralyze him with the fear of failure, did he? And instead, the kind of farmer described in verse 6 is very bold in attempting much. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, 
withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Such a farmer doesn't know what might go wrong in the future. He doesn't know what will succeed in the future. He doesn't know the ways of God. But he responds to these things in exactly the right way. He responds by being very bold, attempting much, sowing seed, morning and evening, so that, humanly speaking, there is the best chance of there being a good harvest later on. And verse 1 also gives us another picture of bold activity taking place. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now this is a, a bit of a tricky verse. Most commentators interpret it this way. That the bread is either literal bread, or, or maybe that's just a way of talking about grain that has been harvested and could therefore be turned into bread or, or whatever else. And the cautious thing to do when you've got that harvest in, the cautious thing to do is to just keep it all for yourself, far more than you actually need for yourself. Plate very safe. Be extremely cautious with it. Because after all, you never know what might go wrong in the future. Just store it all in your barns. Build bigger barns. Lay it all up for yourself. That's the way to be cautious and play it safe and be paralyzed by the fear of failure, isn't it? But a much bolder thing to do is to put quantities of that grain on a merchant ship and then cast that ship upon the waters. That is, send it out to sea off to another country, engage in trade in the hope that after many days the profits of that will come back to you. And then anything that you've got left over, there can also be bold in sharing generously with others. That's what verse 2 goes on to talk about, isn't it? Giving portions to seven or, or even to eight. See, this kind of person is bold in, in sending out what they've made in order to trade and being bold in sharing things with those around them. Now, of course, the, the teacher is not saying that all of us should be involved in international trade. That's not the point, is it, that, that he's making here. Once again, it's a picture, it's an illustration to help us grasp the point that he's making. And it's simply a picture of someone not allowing themselves to be paralyzed by the fear of what might go wrong in the future but instead being bold with what they have, being bold with the opportunities that lie before them. And as we begin to, to draw things to a close, how do we apply these verses to ourselves? What's it going to look like for us in practice to accept these three areas of ignorance that we've taken notice of and then respond rightly by being bold? Now, there are many things that we could apply these principles to. Some of them we've just touched on very, very briefly already this morning. But I want us to focus on one particular application as we, we close this morning. And the, the application I want to focus on is the area of gospel work. And there's a good reason why we should apply these verses to gospel work in particular, even though it applies much more broadly than that and applies indeed to our, our outlook on life and the way our conduct, we, we conduct ourselves throughout many of our pursuits in life. And the reason why I want to focus on gospel work in particular is because it would appear that Jesus himself understood these verses to relate to the work of the gospel. 
So remember the, the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I'm sure you, you're familiar with those verses. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And I'd never noticed this before, but do you notice this morning how the concepts of this passage here in Ecclesiastes 11 relate to that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus? We see that in, in a few ways. Firstly, verses 3 and 4 talk about this farmer observing the wind and not knowing where it's going to come from or where it's going to go. Is it going to blow to the north or the south? Which direction is this tree going to blow over in? Jesus, of course, makes use of that same imagery, doesn't he, as he speaks to Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And then verse 5 talks about the human spirit coming and giving life to the baby who will shortly be born. And of course, with Nicodemus, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming and giving new life to those who are born again. And in both cases, the point that's being made is that we do not know the work of God. We don't know the work of God in, in creating life in the womb. We don't know the work of God in the new creation of regeneration as a person is raised to new life spiritually. And you see, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, and as he does so about this, this matter of regeneration and conversion, these concepts of Ecclesiastes 11 seem to feed in to that discussion in the background. And it is true, isn't it, when we seek to share the gospel with those around us, in many ways we're just filled with ignorance. I'm sure you've found that for yourself. Uh, firstly, we, we just don't know what might go wrong in the future. We, we start telling someone the gospel and there's that little thought in the back of your mind, isn't there? I don't know what's going to go wrong in the future. In five minutes' time when I finish my gospel presentation, is this person going to be really angry? Are they going to be really upset with me for telling them the gospel? Are they going to not want to be friends with me anymore? Will they persecute me? Will they mock me when we're next in, in front of our friends for, for believing in Jesus? As we share the gospel, we don't know what might go wrong in the future. And secondly, we don't know what will succeed in the future. Is this person just at that right moment when their heart is ready to hear and receive the gospel? Is this sermon or this talk or this gospel presentation going to bear the fruit of conversions? And wherever we are planting the seed, we just don't know which is going to bear fruit in the future. We don't know what's going to succeed in the future. And of course, thirdly, the reason why we don't know these things is because God is sovereign and we don't know his works. Has God chosen this person in Christ for salvation? Is the spirit about his sovereign work of bringing new life at this time? And you see, when it comes to the work of sharing the gospel, we are completely ignorant in each of these three ways, aren't we? And the question is, how are you going to respond then to that ignorance? And Ecclesiastes 11 tells us, doesn't it? It tells us on the one hand, don't be paralyzed by the fear of failure. 
Don't constantly be thinking about what might go wrong. Don't be thinking up reasons why not to tell the gospel to this person. Don't be overly cautious. Don't play it safe. Don't keep the bread of the gospel all for yourself just in case. No, be bold instead. Cast your bread upon the waters. Share healthy portions of the gospel with seven or eight or more, as many as you can. And when it comes to this great work of sharing the gospel, be like that farmer described in verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And may God make us a church and make us Christians who are like that. Those who are bold in sharing the gospel with as many people as we can. And then leaving the harvest to him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that because we are finite, limited creatures, there is so much that we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow will bring for us, whether things will go wrong or whether we will meet with success. And we acknowledge that you are the God who is sovereign over all of these things and your ways are above our ways. And so help us not to respond to our ignorance by being overly cautious or inactive. Help us instead to be bold in all the right ways, making the most of the opportunities that you have given to us. And in particular, we pray that in the work of sharing Christ, that we would be bold in spreading the gospel far and wide. And as it were, help us to cast our bread upon the waters. Help us to sow our seed morning and evening. And we pray that in your sovereignty and in your goodness, you would bring forth a fruit of conversions as the Spirit himself raises men and women and boys and girls to new spiritual life in Christ. And in his name, we ask all of these things. Amen.